Welcome to the Focus and Chill podcast, where we discuss productivity tactics that work for neurodivergent individuals. Every episode, we interview guests with lived experience of neurodiversity who also have a solid productivity and habit game, and pass the learnings on to you, our wise and benevolent audience. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Joey. I'm Joey, and I coach creatives to get moving on their most ambitious projects through the power of solid habits and strong focus. I'm also a perpetual student of psychology and perpetually on a quest to a one-armed chin-up. And I'm Jeremy, a neurospicy software developer turned startup founder, building the Focus Bear app to help people with ADHD and autism thrive at work. My cool party trick is leaving parties early so I can get to sleep in time for my two hour long morning routine. The Focus and Chill podcast is brought to you by Focus Bear, a habit and productivity app that makes healthy habits and deep work the path of least resistance. If you have a tendency to check emails or scroll through Instagram first thing in the morning, but long to develop a meditation and exercise habit first thing, Focus Bear can help you. The app blocks distractions on all your devices and guides you through your habits one at a time. Throughout the day, Focus Bear assists you to stay in deep work by blocking websites and apps that are unrelated to your chosen focus mode. Life's not all about work though. You'll be prompted to take regular breaks to rest your eyes and stretch your muscles. At the end of the day, Focus Bear helps you switch off. Work-related apps get hidden so you can unwind and sleep well. Check out the app by going to focusbear.io. Welcome to episode number 43 of the Focus and Chill podcast. Our guest today is Andrew McDonald. Andrew goes by the moniker, the neurodivergent copywriter. He helps neurodivergent entrepreneurs to build successful marketing outreach campaigns that honor who they are, allowing them to reach their true potential. Andrew is neurodivergent himself. He understands how challenging typical marketing strategies can be for neurodivergent individuals, so he offers guidance in avoiding high-stress, sleazy, hard-sale strategies. Instead, Andrew focuses on building strong customer and client communities around businesses run by neurodivergent individuals, ensuring these businesses thrive and remain sustainable. It's great to have you on the show, Andrew. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Jeremy and Joey. To start off with, could you tell us about your own experience with neurodiversity? When did you realize you weren't neurotypical? It's kind of a long story, I suppose, because I always felt that I didn't fit in. Um, I always felt different. But I mean, to actually put the term neurodivergent to refer to that label, it's only really been the last couple of years, although I would have been aware of issues that were neurodiverse about me before then. So, for example, like I've complex post-traumatic stress disorder, and I've had that for a number of years, probably you're looking at decades now. Same with OCD. I've had that my whole life, rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, um, and then also anxiety and depression issues. So I've had all of those for a long time, but actually kind of learning about and I, the neurodivergent description or label, whatever, and applying that to myself, it's really only been in the last couple of years that I've been aware of that term, really. Yeah, well, it's probably only entered public consciousness in that time as well. I, I personally also only really had the realisation in the last few years. Has it helped in terms of knowing that rather than feeling like you don't fit in and that there was something potentially something wrong with you but just realizing that's the way your brain works 
and that it's okay to be the way you are? To an extent, yeah. I mean, socially, in social settings, I can still find things difficult. I don't ever think that I'm going to be a social animal, kind of like a party animal or any of that kind of description. I do like my own space, um, although I'm not antisocial or, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who can't be in the presence of other people. I'm quite happy to be there, but I tend to be the quiet one in the corner rather than the life and soul. Um, in terms of my business, it's helped me unbelievably because when I first launched my business, I really struggled following the advice that gurus and experts um, talked about of being the best way to build a business successfully. Um, I just, whatever I tried, I couldn't get those methods to work for me. And to be honest, I was at the stage where I was going to throw the towel in um, and I just stumbled upon a neurodivergent entrepreneur summit and I learned such a huge amount from that um, that there isn't one way to build a successful business. There's not one way to make things work for you. The trick is to try and find whatever works for your personality, whatever works with your skill set, whatever works in terms of being able to engage with other people. And that really kind of was a revelation to me because until then, all I struggled, all I tried is the, is those guru and expert type methods that, to be honest, I believe that they are constructed with neurotypical people in mind. Yeah. So, so would that be in terms of rah-rah marketing and sort of fake it until you make it approaches? You yeah. The things that didn't work and that were unhelpful? Yeah. And I think as a neurodivergent person, um, that fake it till you make it thing is really difficult, if not impossible. I found it really traumatic to kind of follow that those kind of strategies and also following strategies that I I talk about called email a lot, a lot because I'm really not a fan. It might be a strange thing for a copywriter to admit, but I'm really not a fan of cold emails because if you're rejection sensitive, um, which I am, then you've got to accept that with cold email, there's a heck of a lot of um, there's a heck of a lot of rejection and a heck of a lot of being ignored that goes hand in hand with that. So that summit that I attended, where people were talking about building strong communities around their business rather than those sort of hyper aggressive sell now strategies they that really opened doors for me that i was able to go down and grow as a person and as a business owner mm. yeah that i completely empathize with what you're saying i i was in that sort of rah-rah entrepreneur community for a while and it always didn't feel authentic for me and i've found more is it almost the the content marketing approach and inbound marketing of creating content that's appealing to people 
So they're more likely to gravitate to you rather than going out and, and speaking to random people who probably don't care about it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that, that seems like a, a much better way to go about it. So in, in terms of some of the the challenges that you've had in the, the past, what sort of coping mechanisms have you found helpful in going to the, the summit that you mentioned? That sounds like it was really useful. What other things have you adopted that have made work and, and your personal life easier? One of the things that I do now is um, previously I can't say that I have kind of fluctuating energy levels. I don't. I can I can keep myself going at a hard pace for a long period of time. But one thing that I do struggle with is stress. And when stress um, becomes too much, in the past, I would have tried to push through that and it would have resulted in me eventually needing a longer period of time to rest and recuperate, um, you know, like say a week, a fortnight to try and recharge my batteries, to try and get myself into a position where I was able to give things another go. Whereas now when I reach that feeling of overwhelm, when I reach that feeling of I'm almost burned out, I look to take strategic a strategic day um, or maybe a couple of days so that I can get back to working efficiently and effectively more quickly um, without having to take those long periods of time um, off. Also, things like meditation, breathing meditation in particular, really, really um, an important part of my day. It helps to just de-stress on a daily basis. So sort of being more mindful of my mental state on a on an ongoing basis and and kind of treating treating myself more kindly and giving myself the opportunity to recharge when i need to rather than sort of trying to drive myself on empty for too long a period of time yeah that, that's so important i have to do the same thing is that something that you learned through experimentation it's by having had a few experiences of of those long almost burnout periods that you had to recover from and trying to find a different way? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it. I lost so much time because of those periods that I, that I kind of reanalyzed and thought was there a way of kind of getting back up on the horse quicker. And I decided that I would just try kind of when I felt that things weren't going so well for me sort of in, internally, I thought that I would trial taking a shorter period of time and just uh, but taking it earlier to see how it affected my mood and it, it really made it was it was a success it was successful for me like it it enabled me to get back to a hundred percent without taking those long periods of time up. Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do that more often myself. Andrew, could, could you tell us a bit more about the work projects you're concentrating on? Yeah, I mean, I work with my special, my specialism, if you like, my niche is working with creative and neurodiverse entrepreneurs. Um, and the reason that I do that really is because I went through a very long period of time of really an unsuccessful 
very trying period of time that was much longer than it needed to be. Um, if I had been sort of more open-minded, if I had been sort of more flexible in the approaches that I that I was using, um, and it was very painful. So having kind of made that journey myself, I decided that what I wanted to do more than anything was to help people like myself who was facing some of the same struggles, but to make those struggles shorter and to make those struggles less painful so that they could make the transition from kind of being unsuccessful to being successful in in a quicker, smoother way. So I don't specialize in terms of the types of businesses I work with. Um, I've worked with cybersecurity firms. I've worked with sports clubs. I've worked with um, a wide range of businesses, but I typically work with people who are neurodiverse or suspect that they have some element of neurodiversity. And the, the type of work that you're doing, is it a combination of almost business coaching and also copywriting? Yeah, to, to an extent. Um, I mean, what I do is I try to help um, entrepreneurs kind of make that jump between, jump away from, if you like, the, the sleazy, very aggressive, hard selling strategies that you hear a lot of these kind of people that sell a zero to six figures in six months story. Um, see a lot of Facebook kind of, ads for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who sell the make money in your pajamas stories and trying to help them move away from the, the tactics that they teach to tactics of building communities around their business, but building communities that know, like, and trust them. And the way of doing that is to provide value to customers and clients, not always be looking for the sale. Obviously, all of us in business are looking to sell. We have to be truthful. That is what you're in business for, is, is, is to sell. But there are different ways of doing that. You can really kind of try to drive quick, hard sales. And very often, you're going to, be end, you're going to end up selling to people who aren't ready for your products and services at that point in time, or you can take a more, if you like, strategic approach, which, yes, it does take longer, but you are then selling to people who have built a relationship with you and are buying your products and services at a point in time when they are best able to benefit from what you're selling. So what that results in is customers and clients who are happy who are satisfied with what you provide, so they keep coming back to you. You know, you can sell you can sell stuff to people when they're not ready for it, and it's only going to end up in disappointment. You're going to get the quick sales, but you're you're less likely to get the repeat sales because they're disappointed in your products and services. If you build that relationship and you sell to them at a point when they're ready to benefit then you end up with satisfied customers and clients. You end up with customers and clients who return to you, but you also end up with customers and clients who are great allies in spreading word of mouth and, and referring other people to you and your business. 
Yeah, Andrew, um, I, I totally feel you when you when you say like salespeople coming across as as um like hard selling and sleazy. And it it surprises me so much how when how how often I come across someone that says they've got like a background in in sales or growth and and um all you get from them is like their resume or like how impressive they are and and all these things. And it's just like my understanding of sales, I'm not a sales expert by any stretch, but like my understanding of sales is like, like you said. It's like building relationships, like get, getting people to know, like, and trust you. And um, yeah, I, I just totally feel you. And it's like, why, why the salespeople seem to be that seem to come across as the worst in sales, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, because it because it it works in a short time frame. You know, you get quick sales that way. Or I don't believe in quick sales. I believe in sustainable sales. And the difference is that with sustainability, with sustainable sales, you are building a, as I said, building a business of, or building a community of repeat customers and clients, but also customers and clients that are happy to tell their friends and relatives about you. But also, and this I think is really important for neurodiverse business owners, do you genuinely want to go from zero to a hundred in the quickest time frame? Yeah, on the 10, that sounds fantastic. But what you also have to bear in mind is you have to be ready for a hundred. So if you go from zero today to a hundred in three or four months, are you going to be in a position to service that hundred? you know, 100 people, 100 sales, 100, whatever it is. Like, are you going to be get, Are you going to be making yourself too busy so that you start to fail to fulfill what's required of you? It really is the difference between making some money quickly and making more money over the longer term. And I suppose going back to Jeremy's question about coaching, um, I wouldn't call myself a business coach. I wouldn't call myself a marketing coach, but I do try to guide people to understanding that you want your business to be here in four, five, six years' time, 10 years' time. You don't want to make all your sales in the first few months and then be left with nothing because you've burned all your bridges. And looking at ways to, looking at ways to build that sustainability. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I've, I've been through experiences where my one of my early businesses grew too quickly and it was super stressful and it created cash flow issues and it made it much harder to actually be able to cope and have a life outside work because I was just trying to service all these customers at once. Which brings me to my next question, which is what do you do outside work? You mentioned that you're a, a mad sports fan. Tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, my my number one sport is rugby league. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy, but you're you're from Australia. Yeah, I yeah. I don't follow follow rugby, but maybe Joey does. He's in a a city uh, where there's more rugby fans. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't I don't follow it anymore. But when I was in high school, I used to be a man like pretty big into sports. Yeah, I don't even yeah. know the difference so, between rugby league and rugby union. Uh, well, I know I know that difference. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't be able to tell you who's who's in the teams these days. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, please continue. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, last weekend was last weekend was well, certainly last Sunday was a tough day because um, I mean, I'm a big St Helens fan. That's my number one team, but my NRL team is the Broncos, and the Panthers managed to claw back the biggest deficit um, ever in an NRL final on Sunday against the Broncos, which wasn't nice. But, well, I'm sure it was. If you've got any Panthers listeners, um, I'm sure it was for them. It wasn't so much for me. Uh, basketball, what we call in this part of the world, football um, in America, soccer, uh, and a little bit of boxing. Um, but really, kind of like I'm a sports addict, I almost almost every day i'm watching some kind of some kind of match and at the weekend several nice do you partake in any of those sports yourself as well uh i'm starting to knock on a little bit now in age so, <laughs> so less than before but yeah um i wish i could do more but it's it's um once you once you kind of hit that 40 mark and beyond it gets it gets tougher especially with, say, rugby and boxing. They'd be yeah. a, a bit taxing on the body. Yeah. Yeah, but that, that sounds really nice to be able to have a diversity of things that you're interested in. So if your your NRL team isn't doing well, you've still got a basketball team to root for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and do your family get involved in that as well? No, um, both my wife and uh, our child hate um, hate sports. <laughs> oh, <I guess. laughs> it's, it's ironic, but no, I mean, like I have other interests as well. I mean, I, I I'm not kind of I'm not kind of tunnel visioned on sport. That is my main interest, but I'm uh, I'm a big fan of movies. I um, particularly old movies. So the comedies, documentaries, reading books is a big pastime for me. Um, and learning languages as well. Uh, I'm currently learning Spanish and I speak Italian and a bit of French. So kind of like there, there is variation in there, even if the obsession is far. Very cool. I'm planning to do a Spanish version of this podcast. We'll have to get you on as a guest. Okay. <laughs> um my spanish isn't up to it at the minute but no i once once it is at that level i'd love to yeah cool yeah i won't be the host because mm, me espanol is muy malo but we've got a <laughs> a uh, a host in el salvador who will do it cool but that's yeah mm, that's wonderful that you've you've got already italian and french and all those other languages very cool Andrew, could you yeah. tell us a bit more about your morning routine and uh, what that looks like and how that's evolved over time? My morning routine? Yes. Yeah. Uh, espresso. Um, if I don't if I don't have my espresso in the morning, I I can't I can't function. Yeah, my morning routine typically I I work from home, so I get up and I start work more or less as soon as I get up. I don't I don't find that particularly difficult. And it frees up more of the evening for me. Um so it's good that way. So yeah, I mean a normal normal morning routine is I get out of bed, I turn on the laptop and I start working. 
after half an hour, an hour or so, I'll have a bit of breakfast and then I'll go back to working for a couple of hours before I take a lunch break. Cool. And what about if there's a, a game on in the, the morning? Does that ever happen? Does sports yeah, ever it, inter- um, interfere? It happened the week before last. Um, the first semi-final in the NRL was on the Panthers. I'm trying to think trying to think who the Panthers played now. Um, but anyway, whoever they played, it was on the Friday morning and it was at, I think, 11 o'clock hour time. So I did watch that instead. But typically, I mean, the sport that, the sport that I follow in the main is either European or North American based. So it's either on, it's either on kind of at a at a at a decent time for for me finished work or because of being in North. If I'm watching basketball, if I'm watching the NBA, that can be when I'm asleep. So you know, if the, there's five hours between the East Coast in America and where I live. I'm a Boston Celtics fan, so if the Celtics are playing at seven o'clock in the in the evening in Boston, sorry, but I have to sleep. Yep. Oh, I'm glad, even though you're pretty committed to your sport, that you're still committed to your sleep. What time do you <laughs> normally go to sleep? Uh, um, usually about one o'clock in the morning. I mean, okay. I like, I, I like, the, I don't know whether it's connected with my neurodiversities, but I find something comforting about the nighttime. Um, mm. I find something comforting about the dark and I like to kind of enjoy a bit of that before I go to bed. Hmm. Would you wake up around nine or what What type of sleep? Usually, usually around 10 o'clock in the morning. Hmm. That's great. You get a, a decent amount of sleep. Yeah. I was going to ask whether it was just one espresso or if it's multiple, but it sounds like you only need one if you're getting a good amount of sleep. No, 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 a few, a few yeah. during the day. Um, okay. But I, I kind of stop it. I stop it around the, I stop around the midpoint of the afternoon. If I drink yeah. it too late, then I have, I have problems settling down. Yeah, same here. So that's probably one of your productivity tactics to optimize your productivity yeah, yeah, during the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Multiple and it's the same as... Um, the same as kind of my only vice really these days it's i occasionally smoke cigars if i smoke those too late in the evening um sleeping is a problem because mm. it, it, it messes with your sleep cycles i get to sleep but it, it messes with your cycles and you end up tired the next day yeah mm. and you mentioned that you you take those strategic breaks and that sounded like it was taking whole days off. Do you do you also take breaks during the day as well to preserve your energy level? Yeah, I think it's really important to take to take an hour during lunch and to to do something to do something different. I mean, I think that I think it's true of anybody. I mean, if they even if somebody is a hundred percent neurotypical, I don't even know if there is such a thing to be honest. But <laughs> yeah. If if they if they are um, I still think that you know we're we're human beings. At the end of the day, we're we're animals. We need to rest. Um, and if you don't, then 
can you truly give the the best when you are working? I don't think that you can. Um, mm. I think the, I think those. To be honest, I think those rest periods you you owe them to yourself, but you also owe them to the people that you're working with. Because if you're if you're overtired, you're not giving the best of yourself. So you, you have to be mindful as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we owe our listeners a break. Since we're on that topic, we're going to take a, a short break and we'll be back with you for more of Andrew's questions. Hi there, Focus and Chillers. Are you ready to supercharge your knowledge in the realms of creativity, tech, and psychology? Come check out my fortnightly newsletter. In each edition, you'll get quick wins and actionable takeaways that you can put into practice right away. If this sounds like you, I'd love to have you as a reader. Subscribe for your fortnightly dose of insights. The link is in the show notes. And now, let's get back to the show. So, Andrew, could you tell us a bit more about a habit you might like to remove from your life, either a bad habit or one that takes up too much time? Or one that you have removed in the past. Thank you. Um, it's probably, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm no saint. I, I, there's probably plenty of bad habits that I could remove from my life now. But the biggest, I suppose the biggest challenge I faced in my life and overcame was because of my mental health, because of chronic depression and anxiety. Um, for a long time, I self-medicated with alcohol. I mean, I never reached, I never reached a point where I could be described as an alcoholic, but it was starting to, it was starting to take over, over my life. Um, I kind of like to use the analogy that if I was on a flight from Dublin to Sydney and that flight represented my alcohol journey with Dublin being sobriety and Sydney being kind of full-on alcoholism I got off the plane let's say around Indonesia um so I was I was on a bad journey but I kind of recognized it and managed to wean myself off and then just reached the decision not to drink about five years ago, and I, I, I haven't drunk in that time. Um, and I'm confident going forward that it, it's just it's something that my life is better if I don't drink. And so I don't. I kind of never reached that point where I had to give up. I reached the point where it was better for my mental health and well-being if I did. I mean, I did use prescription medical route to get my to, to kind of conquer that um thing called the Sinclair method. But I I'm confident that I I knocked it on the head before it devastated my life, if you like. Mm. And I've lived without alcohol now for the last five years. And I don't see any reason for why I should go back to it. I'm happier without it. Um and I've got no I've got no kind of desire to to restart self-medicating. Um, because it got into a cycle where, yeah, it was helping me um, momentarily, but then the next day I would feel worse and it would it got into kind of like that pattern of drinking to feel better, then feeling worse, so you're drinking to feel better again. And it's, I'm sure there are people who do it and people who um, it helps them, but... My advice is to somebody who struggles with depression and anxiety, question whether or not 
alcohol is actually helping you or whether it's hindering you. I'm, I'm not telling anybody not to drink either, but I, I my, myself personally, I'm not sure that it's a good mix. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's a question worth asking. I think um, it's, it's, it's just so interesting when like we're getting close to the end of the year now and often you get these articles towards New Year's Eve or um, just after New Year's Eve saying, what's the best way to cure a hangover? And I really like that a lot of the medical advice coming through now is like, you can't cure a hangover because you're poisoning your body. Like alcohol is a poison and mm-hmm. you're, you're actually just like the effects of alcohol are from poisoning your body. So there's no cure for a hangover because you're poisoning your body. So I'm glad that that's becoming more of a, I guess, mainstream view now. Like, like you said, I'm not telling anyone to not drink, but I think it's good to go in with a, with a clear idea of what, what you're actually doing. Yeah. If you find that alcohol helps you, um, I mean, by all means, drink. Like, who am I to tell you not to drink? And even if you have anxiety and depression then and, and you find alcohol uh, helps you, then drink. You know, the, the, there's nothing wrong with having a drink. But if you find that it isn't helping you, if you find that it's actually damaging you, then I think it's time to ask that question whether or not you actually need it in your life. And I don't know if the same thing is happening in Australia, but the zero alcohol drinks are really taking off um, in in Europe and 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 in Ireland. I mean, Guinness Zero, Heineken Zero. I I, I enjoy them, you know. And again, like I do want to stress, I'm not telling anybody not to drink, but I do think that they can reach a time when you need to ask questions about it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you're sharing will give people a lot of hope as well that you've been able to be sober for five years. Could you talk a bit about the the Sinclair method? I, I'm not familiar with that because I think it, it could be quite challenging for someone who is consuming alcohol in the same way that you described of being in that vicious cycle of feeling bad and drinking to feel better. But then alcohol is the cause and solution to all my problems, as Homer Simpson would say. It sounds completely counterintuitive. Uh, you take a tablet called naltrexone or nalmefine for, without going into the science of it, effectively they're the same drug. The only difference is where in the body it's processed. You take that medication an hour or two before you drink and it blocks the reward pathways in your brain. So when you, when you drink, um, you, your reward pathways get triggered. Mm-hmm. So you get you you get a hit of dopamine, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know exactly the science of it, but there's some kind of almost the body's able to produce its own opioids, and it alcohol triggers that process within the body. So you take that tablet an hour or two before you drink, and it blocks that from happening. So psychologically over time you lose the dependency on alcohol i never had a physical dependency although i probably would develop a a mental dependency on it it blocks those pathways so that you're not getting the, the the reward from drinking and effectively drinking 
becomes like drinking a beer, drink, oh, sorry, drinking a Coca-Cola, drinking a glass of water, drinking a glass of milk, because you're not getting that reinforcement. Mm. And it doesn't happen overnight, but over time, you, your brain loses the connection between alcohol and reward. Mm. So you end up drinking less and less and less. And a lot of people who use the Sinclair method end up using it, um, choosing to use it for life in the sense that they want to drink, but they want to drink moderately. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they use it on an ongoing basis. Other people choose to remove alcohol from their life altogether, but it, re- it, it removes any dependency. So effectively, it doesn't sort of prevent the, the, the addiction so much as it kills it. Um, as I said, like I never kind of really were, I was never physically addicted to it, but it, it is quite revolutionary in that it, it kills, it removes the addiction. But obviously, as you said, uh, Jeremy, it can be a difficult method to use because you have to have the conviction that you're going to take a tablet each and every time that you drink. Yeah. Um, because if you don't, it starts to play around with your brain. And it actually, if you, let's say that you take the tablet 50% of the time when you drink, it actually strengthens your dependency because your brain is saying, okay, I didn't get the, I didn't get the reinforcement last time, but I'm getting it now. So I'm going mm. to drink even more. Mm. And so you really do need to have that kind of willpower that you're going to take it each and every time. Um, otherwise you can, you, you can get into a situation where you're playing with fire a bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for sharing that. No problem. So we're going to, ask you a few rapid fire questions first of all how do you switch off at night i like i like listening to kind of old radio comedies that that allows me to um that allows me to just unwind sometimes i'll listen to music instead um particularly classical music and either either of those kind of tactics i find just gives me that breathing space i need to to unwind and prepare myself for going to sleep hmm. andrew could you tell us um a bit about some resources like books philosophies apps or sensory toys that you find most helpful for productivity and habit formation yeah um i didn't realize until recently that this is actually quite common i thought i was the only one i thought i was kind of like an oddball for doing this but blue tack is a great fidget toy for me um just kind of rolling it around my fingers um kind of pressing it in making different shapes with it i find i find it's it's really helpful um i don't know can i there's a there's a there's a book i found fairly recently that i found really really helpful um it does contain a, a swear word so I can kind of use, Sorry, I don't know, am fine. I allowed to use? That's okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck um, is a really, really good book hmm. um, that I found really helpful. Kind of like just, it helps you to reassess your goals and your you, what's important to you. 
Um, and there's a really there's a really interesting story in that between about like, Pete Best, who was the who some people refer to as the fifth Beatle. He was a member of the Beatles kind of before the Beatles became famous. And as they were on the cusp of becoming famous, they sacked him and brought in Ringo Starr. And another guy who was in Metallica. And similar thing happened with him, and he went off and he formed his own band, whereas Pete Best went off and kind of lived a moderately successful life, but had strong family around him and placed his moved his values away from the music and into um into the things important to him in his life being his family. And the book references two interviews, um one with best and one with this other guy. And the other guy is, he, he's been extremely successful as a musician, but he's living, he's living with huge regret because he never made it with Metallica, whereas Pete Best is very happy. And he's really happy that he ended up out of the Beatles because of the way that he reassessed his values and reassessed his objectives. And it's just, it's an interesting it's an interesting comparison because superficially this other guy, I wish I could remember the name, this other guy is way more successful superficially than Pete Best because he has a big successful band that he's Mustaine, Andrew. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mega Death, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Pete, but Pete Best in real terms is the most successful one because of the way that he re he reassessed his life and what he wanted from it. Mm. Yeah. There's always someone cooler than you to use another musical <laughs> reference. Yeah, yeah. Close it out. Where can people connect with you or find your work? The best place to find me is www.andrewmcdonaldmcdonald.biz. Um, and I've also written a free guide to building a marketing outreach campaign as a neurodiverse entrepreneur. And that's at www.andrewmcdonaldmcdonald.biz, B-I-Z forward slash book. And I'm also, the social media I'm most active on is LinkedIn. Um, although I don't, I do use it on a daily basis, but I don't use it. I don't use it sort of intensively because just the way that my neurodiversities work, the way that my brain works, it doesn't do fantastically on social media. If I start using social media too much, it can become it can be, become almost like a trigger for me. But I do use it. I do use it a bit on a daily basis. So if somebody wants to connect there. Um, I'm more than happy to receive a connection request from you. Great. I'll definitely connect with you. Really like what you've shared. <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah, Andrew, it's been wonderful having you on. Do you have any final words or asks of our audience? The, the thing I would say to a neurodiverse audience is if you are if you find the methods and strategies that you've been taught to build your business aren't working for you, if you're finding that they're not only unsuccessful, because I do believe that, that 
determination is important, you know, and that you can turn around unsuccessful situations into successful ones. So it's not about that. It's not about that determination or grit. But if you find finding that they're unsuccessful for you and they are affecting you as a person, if they're causing you stress, you know, to intolerable levels, um, if they're getting you down, then there are other methods out there. They, you know, there's more than one way to be successful. And it's important to be kind to yourself. It's important to look for what works for you. Um, rather than sort of subscribing to what the gurus and experts would tell you that their way is the only way to grow. It's not true. There's, there's, there's more way. We, we, could, we could have a podcast episode of at least several hours exploring all the different methods that there are out there, and you will find one or two that work for you. Um, so be open-minded, be kind to yourself. And, you know, don't be frightened to try different things out. Wonderful. And we'll wrap the show with that. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Focus and Chill podcast. To listen to other episodes, jump onto podcast.focusbear.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a good fit, email us at team at focusbear.io. Otherwise, stay focused, stay chilled and peace out.